0: I wanted to read something from Psalms chapter 18. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. This is verse 21, and have not wickedly and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. And so I just want to remind you all that we have an opportunity to assemble together each and every week to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And the purpose of that is so that we can make a an impact in our communities. We are a local church and we are a rare church which puts heavy emphasis on the doctrinal teachings that come from the Word of God. And so if you look in the highways and byways, there are numerous churches almost on every corner of the street and yet they fail to teach the living Word of God. And as such, we will continue to see a degradation and a spiraling downwards of evil all around. And so I believe that we are a pivotal church here. There's a reason why you are here. And so as we grow together, and as you know, we're start, starting with basics I want us to all be confident in what it is that we believe in so that we can advance the cause of Christ. We're seeing the turmoil, the wars and the rumors of wars all around us and the evil and the shootings galore. And this is not going to subside until the millennium period. But prior to that, it is the objective of the church to grow and to advance to higher grounds. And the only way we're going to do that is if we commit to the intake of God's Word on a consistent basis that we might be transformed, no longer looking like the world. Because eternity is in the balance. And I know sometimes we forget that. But people are dying left and right. And I think a lot of people are not willing to listen to Christianity because they think it's a list of do's and don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. But I'm here to tell you as we advance through these basic series that there's nothing more fantastic than having a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare ourselves for the intake of God's Word and before we sing our songs and lift our voices to God, I want to start with something that I know you're all familiar with. Some of you have doctrinal backgrounds and you grew up under kernel theme and you studied the rebound technique. What's the rebound technique, by the way? What does that mean? What does it mean to confess? And what does that do when you confess your sins? Puts us back into fellowship, so what? And guide our lives. And that's where the power comes from. And we're going to be looking in depth on what it means to walk and abide. Keep that in the back of your mind. What's the difference between walking and abiding? More sustained? Okay. What does Galatians 5 say? Walk by means of the Spirit and you will... You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that's where we have to ex- zoom in closely, because walking has to do with living under His empowerment, which is linked to the filling ministry of the God, the Holy Spirit, correct? Abiding, on the other hand, uh, deals with fruitfulness. James, 5, John 15. So we will make that distinction clearly as we advance through the basic series. But we're going to hit salvation pretty hard for the next several weeks. And although I know it's very elementary, I do believe that there's confusion, such as, is gift, is faith a gift? I'm going to show you what some teach, teachers and pastors are teaching because they say if you don't have the faith, if God has not given you faith, which is a gift, they say, then you can't even obey. Do you believe that? You cannot even believe in God unless He first regenerates you. Do you believe that? This is why salvation is very, very important because it all ties in together with something called Lordship Salvation. And that plays out among the Christians around the world, and I believe that's satanic in origin. And so, as such, we will be covering things. So, if you see things over and over and over, I tend to repeat myself, because, again, eternity is in the balance. If we're off on salvation, we're off for all eternity. So, having said that, Let's lift our voices to the Lord with some songs. How? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now before we get into the word of God this morning... Let's prepare ourselves by taking a moment of silence and as I'd mentioned earlier using the rebound technique or first John one nine and prepare ourselves for the intake of God's word. Now before we do, I know I'd asked the question, what is the purpose of rebound? And you gave the correct answers, but what else? What happens if we do not rebound? Huh? You won't hear the word of God. What else? Not filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. What else? What happens to our prayers? Not answered. Not answered. Anyone know what verse that can be supported with? Uh, Somewhere in Psalms. Can someone read Psalm sixty-six, eighteen? If we regard iniquity in our hearts, He does not hear us. So we get into the habit of rebound, 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 confess the sins, but let's recognize that not only do we recover the filling ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, our prayers are not heard unless we address the sin. And the word confess, as you all know, is homologeo, which just simply means name or cite or agree with God. And so we take that moment and pause and name those sins in the privacy of our hearts. You don't have to come up here And confess your sins because that's not what the Bible teaches. We go before God because we are a priest at the moment of faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So that gives you and I an opportunity to prepare ourselves as we approach the living word of God. So let's pause for a moment of silence and then I will pray and then we'll resume with our increment three on basics. So let's just pause for a moment of silence and I'll open in a prayer. Father, once again, we are gathered together as the family of God. And I trust, Lord, that as we continue to assemble, we would recognize that we're not here just for academic purposes and just not to store up doctrine in our soul, but to ultimately make an impact with the people in the periphery around us, the people, those around us. Your word says that your desire is that none should perish. Perish. And as such, we should have the same desire as well. We know that eternity is in the balance. We hear of numerous stories of people dying. The Queen recently passed and all kinds of people are passing. And James reminds us that life is but a vapor. And we have the the answer to the ultimate sin, which is, the ultimate problem, which is sin. So many people are concerned with the vaccine for COVID, but ultimately we have the, the vaccine for sin itself, which will prevent a person from spending eternity apart from you. So I pray, Lord, that everyone in this church and listening online would take seriously the fact that they are a believer in Christ. They're just not a Christian. Everybody calls themselves a Christian. Everyone wearing a necklace with a cross on it claims to be a Christian. But Father, we know that there are some things that we need to carry out in our lives by virtue of what we say, think and do to impact people for the cause of Christ. We know that sometimes it's just our lives without even words that will impact people because of God the Holy Spirit who takes residence in us at the moment of faith. But may we as the pivot make a difference here in the surrounding areas of Springfield and beyond, Maryland, Virginia, and the like. Father, we are desperately in need of salvation for the lives of numerous peoples who are without Christ, without hope, and without salvation. The most important decision of all time is what think ye of Christ? And I know that this church believes in that. And so it is our responsibility and it is our job to hold the line while we advance the cause of Christ. We should take seriously what you have tasked us with. You have given us various titles. We are ambassadors. We are disciples. We are soldiers for Christ. And Father, we must take that seriously lest people die and spend eternity in the lake of fire. That which includes our friends and even loved ones. So help us to be fluent with the basics so that we can just not just uh, parrot certain words that we've learned in the past, like rebound and divine dinosphere, yeah. <clears throat> but to take the words of Christ himself and utilize those words because we know that his words have life. His words are alive and powerful. So as we move through the basics, I'm confident, Lord, that as we learn the terminologies that come from a close examination of your word, that we would be able to use this in our own personal lives, thus bringing you the honor and glory that rightfully belongs to you and you alone. Thank you, Father. And if there's anything vying for our attention, I realize that we come to church and sometimes we come from troubled homes and marriages that may be strained and relationships that may be strained. I pray that we would lay those aside for the moment so that we can focus on Thee because You are worthy of our time. There's nothing more important, there's no greater value for the believer in Christ than the inculcation of Your Word. And so help us now to lay those things that may be a distraction that we might put our attention on the living Word of God. We ask and pray these things in Christ's matchless name in which we pray. Amen. Okay, let me step out here and just make sure I'm seeing what you're seeing. What's, what goes on the left side here? We remember we're talking about salvation, the salvation package. First of all, what does salvation mean? Soteria. What does salvation mean? The word means deliverance. So you're delivered, but it depends on the context. If, if I was standing in the parking lot here and Pastor Dan pushed me out of the way and I say he saved me from this car that was barreling at 60 miles an hour, that means he saved me from physical harm. He saved me. Thank you for saving me, Dan. That's salvation. Sometimes salvation is from illnesses or even enemies. But the word salvation itself just simply means deliverance or to be delivered from something. So salvation is this huge package that we're all familiar with, correct? So what is what belongs on slot on the left side there? Also known as phase one. What's the very first word that we learned Justification. And what does that word mean? Declared righteous. righteous. So you have been declared righteous when? At the moment of salvation. Why is this important to know? Because you're going to mess up in life. Tomorrow you're going to mess up. The following day you're going to mess up. And then you may even question whether or not you are a true believer some people have a tendency because that's our nature but because you have been declared righteous by God himself it doesn't matter what you think it doesn't matter what you feel it matters what the word of God says that's authoritative not your feelings okay so that's important to know justification means to be declared righteous what goes into the middle box there Sanctification. And what does sanctification mean? Set apart. set apart. Very good. Who does the setting apart? It's a uh, tag team effort. God the Holy Spirit sets us apart, but we also set our, ourselves apart as we live and apply the doctrines to life. So, there is a two-pronged approach to salvation. But ultimately, positionally speaking, it's God the Holy Spirit. But we are told to do certain things. And that's where phase two comes in. By the way, what is justification called? Phase what? And, and sanctification is called? And what's number three on the right side there? And what does glorification mean? Resurrection body in heaven. When does that take place? Tomorrow, right? Okay. At the resurrection, at the rapture of the church, at the moment of death. And as I've said before, The worst thing that can happen to you is the best thing that can happen to you. Only the believer can understand and appreciate that. No unbeliever would get that. The worst thing that can happen to you is what? Physical death. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, face to face with the Lord. Only you and I can understand that. Will we grieve? Of course we will, but not like those who are without hope. We have the hope. But you know what? Look at the chairs next to you. Those should be filled. We have an awesome place to come together to learn the Word of God, especially now that we're just starting. So can I challenge all of you to start bringing believing friends to church? Encourage them to come to church. Because the only way we're going to be able to advance the cause of Christ collectively with numbers is if we invite our friends. We have a perfect place here in National Capital, National Capital Bible Church to teach our believing friends. You'll never know what they'll say. But I'm here to tell you, as I've said before, the first time I got here, a church alive is worth the drive. And this church is worth the drive. So please, invite a friend. There's no reason why we can't. I do understand, and let's be clear, the church is for the believers only. We understand that. So this is for the edification of the believers. This is school. This is class. This is where you learn the basics. This is where you learn discipleship. This is where you learn advanced doctrines. And you will get that. We will go there. But at the same time, it is our responsibility to impact the people that we know. And if we don't take the chance, and if we don't make the time, they're without Christ, without hope, without salvation. Does that not mean anything to you? Maybe you're shy. Maybe you're not the type that'll share the gospel with your unbelieving friend. You bring them here, you wink at me, that'll cue me that they're not a believer yet. And guess what? I'll make sure I give something that will be uh, a gospel presentation. I'll weave that into the me- message. You have my word. I'm that concerned. Too many people are dying left and right. Anybody lose a loved one recently? Okay, so, so you now know the reality of this. Life is but a vapor. And I'm not trying to be a downer, but the reality is we're a chart, we're a church That represents God. And by the time we're done with the basics, you will be so familiar, I hope, with the things that we're going to cover that you will be bold in what you believe in. In apologetics, one of the things that I've learned is one of the main reasons why the people in the pew will not share their faith is because they're afraid of questions. They're afraid they're going to be asked a question that they can't answer. Is that true? How many of you know what it takes to be in good terms with God? How many of you are a believer in Christ? Then you all have enough information to watch a person pass from death into life. That's sufficient. That's the greatest apologetic right there. You don't need to know all the answers. You already have the answer to their eternal problem. Remember, the big picture, folks, is that your worst problem, whatever it is, what you think it is, has been solved already 2,000 years ago. Maybe your marriage is crumbling. Maybe your your finances are tanking. Maybe your stocks are tanking. That is not the worst problem of all. The worst problem of all is spending eternity apart from the living God in the flames of fire. Does that not concern you? And guess what? You're not headed there anymore. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not headed there anymore. That's what the world needs to know. But guess what the world is hearing? Turn or burn. You're going to hell. That's all they hear. We're a Bible-teaching, doctrinally-minded church. We know better than that. We know that it's rooted in a personal relationship to God through the person of Jesus Christ. It's a gift. It's not something that they have to prove. So we get into this hobby horse of knowing all these doctrines, but what good is knowing all these doctrines if we don't apply it to life? If we do not impact the people around us? What good is it? What did James say? Don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a a doer. When was the last time you were a doer of the word? Hopefully recently. But that's a challenge that I'm pointing at myself as well. Because we have to take seriously why we even assemble here every Sunday. We don't come here just because of the coffee and the goodies. I mean, that's part of the reason why I come. But it's for the fellowship and knowing that the Word of God is going to be taught here. What does Psalms 138.2 say? Anybody remember? Can anyone read it if you have it? Psalms 138.2. What does God do with His Word? And this is what we should do with the Word as well. Psalms 138:2 The psalmist says and whoever has it and has a good you have magnified your, word above all your name. You have magnified your what? Word. This He has magnified his word above what? Have you magnified His Word above all things? God Himself places the Word of God, the doctrines, if you will, above His name. What's another word for doctrine? It just means teachings. But He has placed the Word of God above His name. We must prioritize His His Word. That includes coming together and not forsake the assembling of saints so that we can learn it together and advance it and interact like this. This is why I know my style is a little different from Pastor Dan. But I like to interact because I think it helps with the learning. And so, if I talk too much, just go like this. And uh, Scott will tell me. There's a switch that he has that will open the floor underneath me and I'll fall into an alligator pit. So, but this is vital. And since we're in this together and since I'm here, you have my word, we're going to learn some basics and more if you just bear with it. You We will advance to higher grounds. My style is I like to talk a lot and sometimes we don't get to finish, but I just believe in interacting So I'll try my best. That's my spiritual weakness. I talk a lot. But let's move on. So we know, so there you have, um, you should know this by now. I will have handouts by the time we're done with this so that you'll have this on hand. You can have it uh, next to you. You should know this by now, and if it, if it you do, well, good for you, but I'm concerned about those who are just starting out, and it, again, it doesn't matter if you're just learning. I want you to learn how to open your Bible, how to look up a verse with the chapter, and uh, we'll do that together. We'll have a time where we'll just open the Word of God together, look for John 5, 48, things like that, because I want to make sure we're comfortable with all of this. And I know some of this is going to be very, very basic, so you'll just hear the Lord later on say, great is your reward. So look closely at the chart once again. What's the difference between phase one and phase two? What are we focused on today? What would you say is the most most important thing to focus in on, one or two? How do you describe phase two to someone who is a believer now? It's a way of life. Good. Phase two means you are being saved from the... So how are we saved from the power of sin? Because let's be real for a moment. I'm struggling with pornography and alcoholism. You hear things like that before? I have a lot of addictions and I'm embarrassed. I don't want to share it during our prayer session because it's personal. That's the reality. So how does phase two help me? How am I going to get deliverance? I go to these, I listen to all the tapes. I've got the Colonel's tapes and I've listened to all of these doctrinal pastors, but I still struggle. Does anybody else struggle? You don't have to raise your hands because I know the answer. But how do we get through phase two? That's part of the intermediate stuff that we're going to be getting into in advance. This is the walking that I was talking about two weeks ago. Walking by means of the Spirit. A lot of Christians are not familiar with how to walk. We looked briefly at it and someone told me I went just a tad too fast and I apologize and so we will fix that because... I do plan to spend a little time on that. Because if we cannot live in victory, and I'm not talking in a Pentecostal or charismatic sense, but if we can't live in victory, then we might as not well come to church. We might as well not witness or advance the cause of Christ because we are anemic. We can't be anemic as believers in Christ. We have the triune Godhead living in us. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three reside in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit to shield the Shekinah glory of Jesus Christ. But God the Father also indwells you. Did you know that? You have the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Also known as the Trinity. All three are indwelling in you. That's supreme power. You should be able to walk with power. And what does that power look like? Does that mean you can scale the side of the building? No. That means you should be able to say yes and no at the appropriate times. That's why it's important that we cover this. So phase one, phase two, phase three, left to right, one, two, and three. That's just increment of time. That just means the times passed. Times in the past, present time, future time. So in phase one, you have been declared righteous. So Brian was declared righteous when he believed in Christ last year, ten years ago, however, when when he did. And now, he is being sanctified with God the Holy Spirit. And as he applies the doctrine to life, he starts to see that it gets easier to live the Christian life, to make application to the doctrines as found in God's word. And then ultimately, we have the supreme future to look forward to. We all prepare for the future. We get life insurance. We do IRA. We do stocks. We do this to prepare for our future. But what about our future future? What are we doing for that? Do you not know that we store up rewards here on earth so that in heaven we can merit what? Gold, silver, and precious stones. We can co-rule and co-reign with Jesus Christ, but that's for those who are playing ball with God. That's for those who are making application to God's word. That's for those who are taking church seriously, assembling together, contributing to the welfare of the church, and in fact, uh, Bill, can you read Galatians 6.10, please? And Dan, maybe uh Okay, ready? James four seventeen. Ready? Yes, please. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Okay, so what what did what did Bill just say? Let us do good. Let us do good to who? All people. All people. Who does all include? All people, but what else? Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Who's part of the household of faith? You all. I'm supposed to take care of Brian. I'm supposed to take care of Daisy. I'm supposed to take care of Dan and Laura and Bill. That's not optional. How about James James 4.17? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, David. That's right. Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, commits sin. Up? What? what? Anyone who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, commits sin. Commits sin. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it is a sin. How many of us blow it now? You know what to do, but you don't. That is what? A sin. And we're supposed to do good to all people, especially to the household of faith. Can you see the familial relationship ties now? Can you see the importance of the family, the church family, and taking care of those around us? That is vital. That is part of Christian living. Not just storing up all these verses and doctrines and truths. Though important, we must make application to it. We must do good to those around us. Especially to the person next to you. Because you'll never know what they're going through. And you could be a contributor to the grace of God. As you store up the teachings from God's word and make application. You could be a source of encouragement. You'll never know, and I kid you not, there have been times where people were suicidal and they changed direction because someone said, you look nice today. Someone said, you know, because of that kind word, they did not take their life. Now, sure, we could say, well, they're not grounded. They're not mature in the faith. Hey, I'm not talking about those mature in the faith. I'm talking about those who Christ died for. There are people out there who are not in this room who need the gospel of God, the gospel of grace. Which is why we're learning these three categories here. Plus, we're going to cover some more. Believe me, I'm just not going to keep gabbing. But phase one is we've been saved from the penalty of sin. Please commit this to memory if you haven't already. Justification is the technical term for to be declared righteous. God has declared each and every one of you as righteous at the moment of faith. That is a beautiful thing. No one else can claim that. And we shouldn't boast about that just amongst ourselves. We should be telling others as to how they too can be justified by simply believing in Jesus Christ. It's free, And that's how you become a Christian. That's why I put it there on the left side. Justification is free, but it did cost his son. It did cost the father's son his life. Sanctification, on the other hand, is I am being saved from the power of sin. And I'm going to put heavy emphasis on phase two uh, once we get past the basics. Because I think this is an area that we need to be really clear on so that we know how to deal with the temptations and the struggles. Does that mean we will not sin anymore? Of course not. But the intensity and the frequency will diminish over time because it's commensurate to spiritual growth and maturity. So once we know how to grow and mature consistently, then the frequency of sin and the intensity of sin diminishes over time. Not that it gets rid of it, but the frequency is diminished. Glorification, that is in the future. That's our hope. We look forward to the day that we're going to be face-to-face with Christ. We call this phase three because this is the last portion for the believer in Christ. We receive our glorified bodies. We don't have aching joints anymore. We're face-to-face with God. And so... We are no longer going to be in the presence of sin. So to be clear, phase one, salvation or deliverance means I have been saved from the penalty of sin. So why is that important? Because when you talk to your unbelieving friends, it's not about sin. It's not about sin or how less of sin or them stopping sinning because it's about a gift. But sometimes we get caught up with, you know, if you got that colored hair and if you keep doing what you're doing and you got all those tats on you, you're not going to make it to, to heaven. It has nothing to do with their skin. It has nothing to do with their lifestyle. It has everything to do with a gift. The gift is the person of Jesus Christ. Now, granted, there are certain things we should not be doing, but that takes place in discipleship. That's phase two salvation. After they're infused with new power and new life. But how can you expect an unbeliever to change their life when a Christian himself can't change their life because they don't understand the dynamics of walking? When you ask the average Christian, walk by means of the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Can you demonstrate that to me? Um, Galatians 5? No. How does that look like? They can't describe it. And if you can't describe it, then you're not living in victory. Is that a fair assessment? That's what we're going to tackle. Okay. So this is why, you know, my churches—they always say, "Oh, Pastor Freddie's going over salvation again." But then every time we cover these—phase one, phase two, and phase three—they they mix the two. Phase two, phase one. Sometimes they forget. So. With you, I know that you guys got this already, so just bear with me for the sake of the recording. We also covered this, but please, can someone in their own words tell me what this verse, this popular verse means? And then I'm going to point out again about the uh, gender of these nouns. But in your own words, since we are familiar with this verse, how would you explain this to your friend? Let's say you're going to use this for salvation. You're witnessing to a child, you're witnessing to your unbelieving family member, and you say, did you know that by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast? How would you word this? How would you say this? Anyone? Salvation Salvation is a free gift. Good. What else? not based on your works very good so what what else can we say about that it's not based on your works it means it's not about us it's not about us very good what else accept acceptance accept the gift, accept the gift. okay the gift. okay very good so grace you have been saved through that word is pistis and that houtos not of yourselves it is the gift of God. If I Bill, I'd like to give you a gift. This is an iPhone 13. What does Bill have to do to receive the gift? That's it. Can I have it back? A gift is just something to be received. Not something to work for. Because if he tells me afterwards, where's your car? I'd like to wash it for you. I'd like to wax it for you. What is he now doing? He's trying to earn it. He's trying to work for it. He feels like he must pay me back. That's what religion does. The nature of man today, when you look at the other systems out there, is it's man's way to appease God, which is what we defined in the very beginning as religion. Remember, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. Man, by nature, has a difficult time receiving the gift of God, the grace of God. Yes. I took the back. You took the phone back. I took the phone back. Very good. Very good. I took the phone back. That is no longer a gift. That's right. The gift does not, it's never taken away. The gift that God gives is permanent. It's called everlasting life. That gift, when does everlasting end? So when you receive everlasting life, it never ends. But what about eternal life? Do we use eternal life or everlasting life? Is there a difference? What's the difference, Scott? Uh, One has no beginning and no end. The other one has just. uh, Okay, no ending. One has no beginning, no end. Very good. That's why Scott is the boss here. Is God eternal or everlasting? God is eternal everlasting we received upon faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Which is why John 3.16, one of my favorite verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's his words, not mine. So I use that because that's his words. So again, grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. So it has nothing to do with you. It's not about being good. It's not about being about bad. It's not how bad you are. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then I would pointed out that verse 10, we sometimes fail to add 10 because we're quick to quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But 10 says... We are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paima is the word for worksmanship. Worksmanship means simply creation. We are his work. We are his creation. And guess what? We are his creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. We should be in the business of doing good works, starting with taking care of people. We do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. And if we don't, and if we know to do good and we don't, James 4.17 reminds us it is a sin. So we ought to walk in them. Now, you'll understand why I'm hitting to Ephesians two eight and 9 because I have something I want to share in just a moment. Remember, last week I had pointed out that the nouns grace and faith are in the feminine gender. And I had pointed out that since... Uh, Hutos, or that, the word that, is neuter gender. It cannot refer to faith or grace. So you've got um, grace, you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So as such, it refers to the whole preceding clause that describes salvation. So what is he talking about? What is that referring to? All of it. All of salvation. The entire salvation package. Phase one, phase two, phase three. Not faith, not grace. If we're not careful with this, people will say, "Oh, I I guess it's not showing here, but the word faith is a gift. God gave you that. God gave you grace, God gave you faith, faith to believe. You'll hear this in discussions with Calvinists. So let me support what I'm saying so that you'll see why this is a big uh, hobby horse of mine. Calvinists say that faith is a gift, genuine faith. Listen closely, this is according to John MacArthur from his book, The Gospel According to Jesus. And by the way, I think John MacArthur is a very good teacher of the word. But when it comes to soteriology, I have a different view than his. Okay, So please don't uh, think that I'm ripping on MacArthur. He's got a lot of good stuff to say. But when it comes to salvation, I differ. And uh, so it doesn't mean that he's a bad guy. It just means that, um, just as my professor in seminary said, he has the right to be wrong if he wants to. Calvinists say that faith is a gift. Please listen to his words, okay? Genuine faith, now he calls it genuine, is granted by God. Faith is a supernatural gift of God. Faith is not something that is conjured up by the human will, but is sovereignly what? Granted. You cannot believe in God unless He grants it to you. authored by the name of Wells in his book, Faith, page 55. Faith is God's gift. It's in no degree could a natural man produce faith. It is utterly beyond him. You can't. This is what he's saying. Let us adore the God who gives it. Gives us what? Faith. Because it's God's gift. A transcription from MacArthur's tape, Uh, GC 9021, Dealing with Lordship Salvation, listen carefully. John MacArthur teaches that faith is the gift of God and he recommends that the sinner pray to God in order to obtain it. Obtain what? He wants you to pray for faith. Faith is a gift from God, it is permanent, and the faith that God gives begets obedience. What's begets mean? Anyone know? We see that in the, uh, all the names, right? Begets, 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 begets. Well, it produces causes. So listen to, let me, let me rephrase this now with that word. Faith is a, uh, God, It is permanent and the faith that God gives causes obedience. So Marty, if you said you believed in Jesus Christ and I haven't seen any change in your life, you're truly not saved, man. Has anyone ever heard that before? That is very popular. It is it is in a lot of churches today. A lot of religions teach that. If you don't go to church, if you're not doing this, if you're not giving, if you're not tithing, you're probably not saved. And if you're still ill, you don't have faith. All you have to do is pray for faith because it comes from God. Let me continue. Faith is a gift from God. It is permanent. The faith that God gives causes obedience. God gave it to you and He sustains it. May God grant you a true saving faith. Oh, wow. So there's a false saving faith. A permanent gift that begins in humility and brokenness over sin and ends up in obedience unto righteousness. There's that obedience again. So when he gives you faith, you will eventually obey. That's true faith and it's a gift that only God can what? Give. And if you desire it, pray and ask that he would grant it to you. That's taken from John MacArthur. So, do you all see why this is important to know, why faith is not a gift? Faith is persuasion. You remember this? So, let us me review this again. The Christian life starts with salvation. That salvation package encompasses phase 1, 2, and 3. Justification, sanctification, glorification. The most important person to believe in is the Lord Jesus Christ. We all are in agreement with that. The scripture says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Acts 16.31. What does John 3.16 say? You should all know that by heart. Whoever believes in him will not, but have. That's oh, all everlasting. everlasting life. Very good. How about John five twenty four and John six forty? Can Can someone help me read this one? Read John five twenty four and one six forty and six forty seven, please. Well, then we'll close with Acts twenty eight twenty four um, on this slide here. But I want us to be on the same page here. And see this for, for ourselves. John 3.16. Who has John 3.16? Very popular verse. One of my favorites. I always start the, my service with John 3.16. So, so, the so, so there's that everlasting life again, contingent upon what? Believe. Believing in Him. Okay, that's, that trails John 3.3, how one is born again. So, Jesus Christ expands how one is born again with 3.16 and preceded with John 3.15, which we will look at again when we dive a little deeper into some of the verses and exegete some verses that we will look at together. But for now, some real simple stuff. How about John 5:24, please?: <clears throat> Truly truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has everlasting life and it's not to judgment but it is passed on to life. Okay, so what do we have to believe in here? You remember our explanation for this? Who do we have to believe in here to have everlasting life? From past, from death into life. Who's the object here? God the Father. Now it's God the Father. And then, uh, John six forty seven. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up. Very good, so the idea is looking to him, believing in him, and you will have everlasting life and that john five twenty four remember I had pointed out that in order to believe in the Father, you have to believe in Jesus, because the Father sent Jesus, for God so loved the world, so by believing in the Father whom he has sent, believing in who sent Jesus, you're believing in the Father, and the Father sent Jesus Christ. He was the one who said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So by believing in the Father, you believe in the Son because the Father sent the Son. The Father is the originator of the plan. Jesus Christ executes the plan. God the Holy Spirit now comes and becomes our helper and He is our guide, He is our empower, He influences us, He teaches us, and He convicts the world of sin. Things that we will learn more in greater detail as we move along. Now, I want to establish the fact that belief is persuasion. Can you turn to Acts 28, 24? I always like to use the scripture as much as possible to show you that belief is really about being persuaded. And I used Marty last time, but I'll use Bill this time. Bill, can you come up here? Did you know that Bill... Is Filipino? <laughs> and Bill, what is your nationality? You are? American. American. I'm American, he's Filipino. No, let, let's change this. I'm Afro American, and he's Filipino. How many of you believe that? No. Thank you, Bill. I I use that as an example because hopefully in your mind's eye you just observe the facts, correct? You looked at the facts. The facts argues otherwise. You were persuaded that I was the one Filipino and he was the one American, though I am American because I was born here in the States. But ethnicity-wise, I'm the Filipino one. He's not. Correct? So the facts persuaded you. That's my point. That's why in the blue, belief is persuasion. It's not a decision. You don't decide to believe. I pointed out in the very beginning. You don't decide to believe in Jesus. You align your will to consider the facts about Jesus and then the facts will elicit a response, an inward response as to whether or not you will believe or not. So let's take Acts twenty-eight twenty-four, and if someone has it, could you kindly read it? Acts twenty-eight, twenty-four. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Okay, some were convinced that's what translation are you using? Okay, we can pray for you. Um, I'm just kidding. Bill? Okay, very good. What translation is that? American New American Standard. Okay. See? Uh, I'm kidding. ESV is a, a good, tr- I, I use the New King James because that's what, uh, Schaefer taught us to use and I was, I'm very f- comfortable with it. New American Standard is good. ESV is good. But we'll make corrections along the way when need be. But I wanted you to see, uh, Bill, one more time. You're New American. Matt? Okay so some were being persuaded but others were did not believe. did not believe in the new king james it says and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieves so the issue at salvation is believing in Jesus Christ and remember i spent a little time talking about it. it's not a decision it's not about repenting it's not about taking jesus off but taking yourself off the seat and putting Jesus on the seat. It's not about missing heaven from seven by seven inches. You had a head faith, but you didn't have a heart faith. That's, that's all prevalent in a lot of churches today. I know it's not here, but I'm arming you and I'm preparing you as to what's out there so that when you engage with your believing and unbelieving friends, you'll at least have a basis by which to respond. We're not there to win the debate. We're trying to win the soul. Okay? You could win the debate but lose the person. We're not trying to prove them wrong. We want to win them for the sake of Christ. So dazzling them with all these doctrines will do no good if they walk away without Christ. So I would rather be clear on what it is that needs to be done. We've looked at Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Anybody remember the context of Acts 16.31, the Philippian jailer? What actually happened there? There was an earthquake. And what happened? Who were in the jail? Paul and several, right? What happened? They stayed in there. There was an earthquake. They could have escaped. And what? why was the Philippian jailer afraid he would have been killed but what what prompted him to say what must I do to be saved they didn't run they did the right thing they said don't we're still here we're all accounted for don't kill yourself their behavior made an impact they did something right it free it, it tripped the guy out. He said, "You guys could have escaped. I couldn't have caught you all." But he said, no, "No, no, no, no. Put your sword back there, back in. We're all here." And guess what happened? That caused an opportunity for Christ to be magnified. They did the right thing, and they said, in, "He was trembling, sir. What must I do to be saved?" And what did Paul say? Well, you got to repent. You got to take you got to change the color of your hair. Your hair is too long. You know, and you're you're too much of a sinner. You drink too much. Did he say that? What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And even that we're going to hammer in and dial it in a little bit and figure out what it means to believe in Jesus because Some will say, well, I believe in Jesus. Cults believe in Jesus. What is it about Jesus that we're believing in? That he's born of a virgin? That he died, buried, rose again on the third day? In fact, how much time do we have, Scott? I did not mark my time. Six minutes. Okay, so that means sixty minutes. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and I'll show you why this whole salvation thing is a big concern for me. Now, this this does not mean that what you were doing was wrong or what I was doing was wrong, but I want you to see something. I do something called observing the text. We just read the text for itself and I want to see if anything jumps out at you as to why I'm raising this passage for observation. First of all, how many of you use this chapter and verse? 1 Corinthians 15. Anybody use it for anything? It's a very popular passage. And uh, if you do, just tell me what you use it for. 1 Corinthians 15. um, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain in the present, but some have fallen asleep. You're familiar with this passage? What is this? It's written to believers Okay, written to the believers. Good. Very good, Laura. And. Okay, phase two. Uh, does anybody use this as a gospel presentation? No, very good. Why is that? Stuff. stuff that they don't right then. They don't that. That's good. Well, that's ve- I, I, you're advanced. <laughs> that, that's good. But, a lot of churches do. Right? I mean, have you heard people use, uh, the gospel is found in First Corinthians 15 and you need to believe this, this, this. He died, was buried, rose on the third day, and so on. But, let me show you why. And Laura, you were right. You, it was written to who? Was it written to anyone in particular? The the church, church, right? So can we assume that they were believers? Mm -hmm. They're called brethren throughout Corinthians, right? Let's look at verse 12. Can someone read 12 to... um, 17 please. First Corinthians 15:12 to 17. I want you to see why Paul wrote this. It's good to know the objective. What was the reason why Paul wrote this? So that at least we'll know in the back of our minds since we're talking about salvation, why did Paul write this and why is this probably not the best place to start? It's loaded with good truth, key doctrines that are vital, and I think that needs to be taught in a local church, and we will learn it. But why not a presentation to an unbeliever? We need to know why Paul wrote this, first of all. What was his purpose for writing this? Anyone have First Corinthians 15, 12 to 17? No. Okay, Bill, Oh. is in vain, your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ when we did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Ooh. What's going on here? What was Paul's concern? Some of who did not believe in the resurrection? The Christians. This is the reason why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15. He was addressing a doctrinal defection. He said, wait a minute. I've taught you this before. How come some? Of, I'm hearing some of you don't believe in the resurrection? If that's true, then Christ did not rise. Then our faith is futile. So think about this, if the Corinthian church were saved and some of them did not believe in the resurrection, is it possible for a person to be saved without believing in the resurrection? Yes, very good, very good. Do You see how this is all coming together now? salvation is rich but I don't want us to just have a knee-jerk reaction just be born again because some people go to this you need the cross you need to believe in his resurrection you need to believe in his virgin birth are those important doctrines of course they are very very important it's the greatest apologetic to Christianity the risen savior I'm not in any way minimizing those truths those are very important vital truths Without the resurrection, we have no Christianity. But, what must we share? If a person is on a ventilator in the hospital, in ICU, and they got two minutes left before they die, are you going to explain the resurrection and the virgin birth? What must I do to be saved? There you go. Do you see where I'm going with this, guys? I hope you're see- now, this might be different for some of you, and I understand that, but if you stick with me, you'll see the logic behind this. I will interlock this with other doctrines. We will delve deeper. But I'm starting from scratch, like I'd promised from the very beginning. But I want us to be clear, what does it mean? Like I said on the slide here, the most important person to believe in is in the Lord. It's not the president. We're gonna have, come up, have these elections soon, but guess what? Who, guess who's in charge? It's not the president. God is the one who ordains the person who's in charge, who's going to be in office. So yes, we have a responsibility. We should vote. I believe we should. We should side with those that line with doctrine and the word of God especially. But um, I don't like talking politics behind the pulpit because that's reserved solely for politicians. And I'm a pastor and I think the word of God is the sole focus when we assemble together because there's only one celebrity and that's Jesus Christ. And I want him to be magnified from beginning to start. Every time we enter here and before we leave, you must know it is Christ alone. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, Savior of all. He loves you. He loves the world. And our job is to do good to all those around us by learning what the Word of God says and taking care of one another especially to the household of faith. So having said that, I I think I've maxed out my six minutes. I feel the floor starting to come loose. So I'm going to close in a word of prayer and may I encourage you to seriously start considering how you can invite your unbelieving friends and especially your believing friends here. Because we're starting from ground zero and if you like this style and if your friends are a little shy, you can tell them I won't call on them. But just give me a little signal of some kind that they may not be a believer yet and I'll make sure I add something so that they can at least acquiesce to the gospel in a very short, concise manner with God the Holy Spirit preceding my prayers. So having said that, let's close in a word of prayer. In fact, let's stand, if you don't mind. Stretch a little bit. Father, once again, we are delighted when we can assemble together to know you more through your word. Again, we are exposed to the magnificent doctrine of salvation And although it is very commonplace for us in this church to talk about salvation, to believe in salvation, we recognize, Father, that we should not allow the familiarity of this truth to become so um, soft that we no longer take seriously our believing friends and family members. If we have friends and family members who are without Christ, without hope, and without salvation, I pray that we would bombard them with much prayer and that you would allow God the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts so that in the end they would be receptive to the gospel message that by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ they might be saved. Thank you for all the saints and soldiers of, of the North, North Capitol Bible Church under the leadership of the deacons here and for the fine work that Pastor Dan has established. It is a privilege of mine and my wife and son to be a part of this ministry, to link link up with the, the family here, to expose the people in the surrounding areas of the truth of God's word that they may believe in Jesus Christ and have a vibrant relationship to God the Father. And so I pray, Father, that as we are here that you would be able to use us in a way that would most magnify you in all that we say, think, and do. We ask and pray all of these things through Christ's matchless name in which we pray. Amen.